You heard me say it, and I believe it wholeheartedly, that if you lead with identity, everything else will follow. But I've had the experience in my work of coming in contact with individuals who want what follows, but aren't willing to lead with identity. It used to bother me and I could not figure out why they did not want to lead with identity. Then it dawned on me that people think that doing identity work means that you're broken. When in fact, it has nothing to do with brokenness and it's not an attempt to fix you. Identity work is about coming in alignment with who you are and not fixing, but honoring who you are and building a brand that is most authentic to who you are. So if you're ready to leave with identity and become a supernormal superstar, visit YourSupernormal.com right now and let's do the work. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Transformation Radio, where we transform lives through purposeful conversations, regardless of how uncomfortable and unpopular those conversations are. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmony of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening sky. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea, sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us, sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us facing the rising sun of our new day begun. Let us march on till victory is
What's up, everybody? Welcome to Transformation Radio. That's right, Transformation Radio, where we have conversations that sometimes are uncomfortable, sometimes are unpopular. However, they help position us even greater for our purpose. My name is Clifton Patty John. I am your host. I'm a purpose strategist, author, transformation coach, and spiritual leader. I provide tools and strategies to transition individuals from merely existing to living a life full of purpose. That's right. I am talking to you. If you're out there and you're struggling with the concept that there is purpose to your life, here's what I want you to do. I want us all to join in this exercise very quickly. I want you to breathe in, hold it, breathe out. Breathe in, hold it, breathe out. Now, if you are able to inhale and exhale, that means that there is breath yet in your body. And as long as there is breath remaining in your body, then purpose yet remains, all right? So I want you to be encouraged on tonight. Here's another thing I want us all to learn how to do. One of the greatest things I learned in life was how to laugh at myself. I don't know about any of you, but sometimes I do some silly things that if I take life too serious, I would just sit and look at myself and be completely disappointed. Before we got on the air tonight, I was a little late getting on to our guests, and the reason was uh, is because I thought something was going on with my headphones. I could not get my headphones to hear sound, and I'm sitting here and I'm wrestling, and I'm like, I don't have another uh, set of headphones here. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I realized, Cliff, turned the volume up. And when I turned the volume up, I could hear. So I was a little incident that I had that I had to learn how to laugh at myself. So I encourage you, find situations in your life that you can learn to laugh at instead of getting upset, instead of getting angry, instead of talking down on yourself. Learn to laugh a little more. And I promise you, the more you learn to laugh, the more you will understand just how much you will be able to enjoy life. Guys, we're in the month of August. You know we're closing out season two. After this month, we have another amazing guest on tonight. We're going to get to him very shortly. But as I always do before I get to our guest, I want to remind us all of this very, very thing. Our show has diversity. Our show is a diverse show. I'm sorry, guys. Our show is a diverse show, which means that our guests will be diverse. They come from different backgrounds and different belief systems. The way that they believe may not be the way that they believe, may, may not be the way that you believe. The way they process things may not be the way that you process things. Their perspective on situations may not be your perspective on situations. I open the phone lines for those who are interested in joining the conversation, whether you have a question or a statement that's relative to what we're talking about. However, if you call in to express your disagreement, that's okay. I don't mind that. But make sure that you do that in a respectful manner because it is when we learn to respect each other's differences that we position ourselves in a place where we can learn and grow from each other. If we all had the same belief systems, we all had the same backgrounds, we all sounded the same, walked the same, talked the same, 
we just all drew the same conclusion, that would be a boring life. And then on top of that, where would be the space for any of us to challenge each other to grow? So when you call in, I want you to keep that in mind, okay? Because there is an X button that I will have to hit. I say it every week. We've never had to use it, and I don't believe we're going to have to use it this week, but I do like to make it known. The call-in number is 516-387-1756. Again, 516-387-1756. So, ma'am, without further ado, I want each and every one of you to help me welcome to the show. Guys, you already know I don't read bios on the show, but I do give you a, a, a generalization of, of the guests that we have on the show. Also, before we go to the guest, he reminded me of something that I guess I had gotten so used to, the same listeners listening all the time, I hadn't really become aware of this thing. The show goes off the air at 11 o'clock. Sometimes we continue to talk after the show. Everything that we say after 11 will be available on the replay. So I just want to make our new listeners aware that you sometimes you've heard shows we've just went off the air. And I has, haven't been very aware of the fact that some people are like, well, what in the world happened? What, what just happened? So I thank our guests for making me aware of that on tonight. So if you feel as if the conversation has not ended at 11, if we're still talking, then know that there will be a replay released on tomorrow, which will be available on the website. I give the website at the end of the show for you to be able to visit. Well, let me give it now. www.cliftonpettyjohn.com. There's a tab that says Transformation Radio. You'll be able to go and hear the replay of this show and the replay of shows that we've had in the past. All right, guys, now let's get to our show, our guest. He's a life coach, a career coach, a speaker, a TEDx organizer, a mentor, and an author, guys. Help me welcome to the show, Jonathan Harris. Jonathan, how are you tonight? I am doing really well. Thank you, first and foremost, um, for having me. It is truly an honor to be on this amazing radio show. Um, before we, you know, go any further, I have to take a second and just thank my amazing village. I have uh, several people who've reached out to me that they're tuning into the show right now. So I feel so loved from awesome. family, friends, even my students at, you know, where I work, which is so dope because getting the student to um, use part of their evening to support an employee really speaks to um, the love that we have for each other. You know, I try to show them love. So it's always appreciated when it's reciprocated. So I'm just grateful to be here. Awesome, awesome. Listen, I want to send a shout-out to your village as well. Thank you all for taking this time, and that speaks volumes of who you are and, and the impact that you have made on individuals' lives that they are willing to tune in and listen on tonight. So we thank you all for tuning in. So, listen, before we get started in the conversation, I always love to start every conversation with an icebreaker. And this okay. icebreaker is the same icebreaker that I give to everyone, and it kind of gives me a better understanding of who you are as well. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So if you could have one superpower, what would that superpower be and why? Oh, goodness. Hmm. 
If I could have one superpower, what would that be? This is a good one. Um, mind control. I think mind control would mm. be a really great power. I could use the ability to influence others to maybe make some uh, better decisions, uh, different things like that. So hands down, uh, mind control. I'm sure most people would probably say invisibility or fly, but definitely I think mind control, <laughs> you could really pro- you could probably really get the most done with that ability. You know, if you see something crazy going on in the world, let's say there's a certain leader or a certain something going on in there making these decisions, and I'm like, hmm, I have the ability to uh, actually fix that with this superpower. That's what I would actually end up using it for. I wouldn't use it for anything bad. But just to try to make people maybe a little bit kinder, a little bit nicer, uh, maybe make them think through decisions a little bit better. So hands down, mind control. Awesome. Now, I'm going to tell you why I asked that question. I believe that everybody we've had on the show, and this is, I don't think it's ever been a time that this has not happened. If it is, I can't recall. Most of the people who come on the show respond to that question based upon what it is that they've been called, created, and designed to do or what they are doing in the world. And mm-hmm. I look at, listen at what you were saying concerning the mind control aspect of things, and I'm like, oh, okay, okay. I'm sure as an educator, you, and a mentor, and even an author, you're helping reshape the minds of those that are multi-generational, you know, to understand that they have a greater value about them and that they have the ability to live far beyond the present. So, that's why I always like to start with that question because it kind of lets me know the nature of the individual that we're having a conversation with. No, that's good to know. And it's funny because as I was thinking about it, that's what I, that's the lens for which I was seeing it from is, you know, having these different capacities where I have influence over people's mindsets, uh, trying to, you know, convince them and encourage them to make the best decisions they can. So that was definitely spot on. I feel you. So now let's talk about the mindset right now. You're going to see what the conversation, sometimes it feels like we're all over the place, but we're in the same space, and it'll make sense as we get to the end of it. But let's talk about the mind right now, because there are individuals that are out there. uh, We're dealing with a lot of things right now. Uh, We're dealing with the pandemic. Some states are fully open. Some states are partially open, and there are some states that aren't open at all. Uh, then we're dealing with the social injustices that are going on or the greater awareness of social injustice that is going on. What would you say to those that now are used to being so busy that they don't have time to process some of the thoughts that run through their mind, and now they're sitting at home, and it seems like the only thing that they have to do is to process those thoughts? So what are some encouraging words that you can give to some people that are that are struggling with that now? They're struggling with being, as some will say, stuck in the home in the house, or the, as the song says, I'm in the house board, bored in the house and I'm in the house board, bored in the house and I'm in the house board. What would you say to those individ- those type of individuals? Well, that's a really good question. I would just say that give yourself the opportunity to process what's going on and be okay with whatever emotions that bring. And I would say for me, it was a very interesting concept because, you know, talking about somebody who is always 
doing something or always helping somebody else. That essentially was my life before the pandemic. Um, you know, my to-do list pretty much as I wake up at 7 or 8 a.m. is filled with meetings or people I promised to help or different things like that. But when COVID happened, my whole life essentially shifted. And I think for the first time in a while, I really got to have a different focus where it wasn't based on being around other people and helping other people, but really just, like you said, having time to reflect. And, you know, in the midst of that, there were a couple different things that had happened. I think the um, anniversary, not the anniversary, but the birthday of Ahmaud Arbery had came up uh, during the pandemic. And um, I remember at my job, I had organized a walk. Um, I think it was like for his birthday, everybody was asked to run or walk 2.23 miles or something like that. So I remember organizing that. But I remember being so emotionally kind of distraught about the entire situation because I'm a person who walks every day. So I'm sitting here like, oh, my goodness, that could have been me. And, you know, just giving myself mm. that space to say, like, I'm not okay with this situation. I think that busy people, we often run the burden of being so focused on our to-do list that we don't really take the time to have those human moments. So um, this pandemic mm. has really given me a chance to be a human again. I feel like sometimes I kind of live like a robot because there's so much I want to accomplish. But, you know, 2020, um, believe it or not, prior to COVID even happening, my goal for 2020 was to be a better human being. And um, mm. I said, this is, not a resi- this is not a resume year for me. Like, the things that I'm doing are not focused on ways that I can build something on my resume. So I said, this is the year of being a good friend. This is the year of being a better son, a better brother, um, you know, a good godfather, a good uncle, and, you know, not focusing on opportunities, but focusing on, like, re-sta- reestablishing relationships that maybe have fallen off due to my schedule or their schedule or just different things like that. But also too, like promising myself that I was going to hold myself accountable to the emotions that I feel. So like if I'm getting into Mm. a situation with people, like holding myself accountable to addressing those issues and stuff. So that was really my goal going into 2020. I think for me, COVID was that opportunity to test those theories out because it gave me an abundance of time. Um, But, you know, to the listeners, I would just say, again, give yourself that space to process it. You know, cry if you need to. Others are writers. Some people journal. uh, Some people do poetry. Some people put it in the form of song. But definitely, like I said, give yourself those emotions to say, like, hey, I'm not okay right now. Um, I think sometimes we get in a space where we feel like people are going to laugh at us or make us feel bad if we are being human beings. But my mom always says, Mm -hmm. you know, men have tear ducts just like women do. So we're supposed to use them. Um, So I've definitely just given uh, given myself some space to just be a better human being in 2020. Um, How would, you know, whatever that looks like for me. So I've had to kind Mm -hmm. of unplug from certain habits and hobbies that I normally had because I said I just want to do things better and I want to do things different. So that would be my advice to the listeners. That makes a lot of sense. Definitely makes a lot of sense. That's some great advice there. I like where you said uh, your goal was to be a better human being. And one of the things that I I believe that sometimes when we get, uh, when we are people that pour so much out, that sometimes we cause ourselves to lose or, or we don't focus as much on building ourself uh, until it becomes detrimental. We're burned out or, you know, it's like, whew, I really need to right. recharge. 
So as a person that pours out, what are some things that you do to personally recharge? So it's so funny that you say that. Um, It looks very different based on, you know, where I am in my life. So right now, the big things that I've been doing, I walk every single day pretty much. I might take a rest day here and there, but walking is so, so relaxing for me. Uh, What I normally do, I walk anywhere between two and four miles. Um, I always walk the first mile by myself. I'm not on the phone with anybody. And then maybe for the second or third mile, I'll get on the phone and I'll call somebody. So it's a great opportunity for me to not only get fitness in, but just to kind of relax, uh, detox, unwind, things like that. And then, you know, usually when I'm talking to someone, it's usually my dad. Uh, we talk like sometimes every day, three times a day for hours upon hours. So, you know, many times I'm able to kind of like unload some of the things that I'm feeling onto him or maybe a friend or, you know, different things like that. So I'd say walking has been a really big help. Uh, For me, I have been praying every single day for uh, the last 14 months. I started in June of 2019. My mentee, Dimitri, and I, we started a prayer journey together. So we are accountability partners to ensure that we pray. Um, So prayer has been a huge, huge, huge help. I remember a year ago being so worried about just different outcomes and things. And now that I've been on this prayer journey, I can't tell you the last time that I really, like, stressed out about the outcome of something. You know, there are situations I don't care for, but I can't say that I've recently been in a space where I've worried about what the result will be because I know God is going to work it out in my favor. So, you know, prayer has really just given me a sense of groundedness when it comes to outcomes and things like that. On a more like recreational side, I love video games. I am a huge uh, Madden uh, player. At one point, I was actually in the top 5% for uh, Madden players, for the listeners who aren't familiar, Madden is uh, football. So, you know, have a lot of fun with that. I use the Tennessee Titans. Um, what else? I love fighting games, like Tekken, Mortal Kombat, even uh, WWE. So those are kind of like the main ways that I really like to relax. And um, I'd say my unofficial fourth, um, sometimes I just like to sit outside and just uh, at night, you know, sit outside, get a nice chair, and just look at the stars. Um, That is so peaceful to me, you know, put some music on. um, And those are really, like, the main ways that I kind of relax and pour into myself. Uh, Very recently, I just got a mentor this summer, and uh, his name is Lawrence. Lawrence is so dope. Um, He is, you know, really been just great with also pouring into me as well. And I'm getting used to that process of – I guess actually having a mentor, not to deviate from your question really quick, but I just wanted to kind of lay the foundation. So I've kind of always wanted a mentor, right? Um, But I've been Mm -hmm. a little bit turned off to the idea because I know in the past, I feel as though I haven't had good experiences with them. I feel like throughout the course of my life, people have pushed things on me. Like, I think that you should do this or whatever, whatever. And I always felt like a good mentor asked you, like, what you want out of your life and kind of helps you build around that as opposed to, like, pushing a plan on you. So I've always kind of shied away from it. And then on top of that, like, my father is really, like, my best friend. So I've always felt like having bonds with other older men that weren't my dad were, like, cheating on my dad. So I just, you know, and I think growing up, the way that mentors have been stereotypically, I don't say stereotypically, but usually kind of – introduced to us is like these are for guys that don't have active fathers so I always felt like you know Mm -hmm. my grandfather and I were extremely close before he passed in 2016 my dad and I are still close to this day so I never felt like I had a need from other men that weren't my family 
But what I did realize as I get older is that your source of guidance can't just come from one person. And that's not a, you know, that's not a knock on anyone in my family, but I do think that you connect with people over different things for different reasons. So I said, I think I'm kind of doing myself a disservice by only leaning on like a set group of people when I know there are other men out there who can also help me in addition to what I already have. It doesn't have to be an apple or oranges. Why can't I have both? So, you know, that was a conversation Mm. that we have with God going into 2020. I said, I want to be connected with more progressive men. Like I would love to meet guys who are married because one day I aspire to be a husband. I aspire to be a father. I aspire to be a homeowner. So, you know, my dad is all of these things already. So we do have those conversations, but again, you know, there are also other people who can provide me with additional perspectives. So um, Lawrence kind of fell into my lap. Believe it or not, he ended up reaching out to me. He has this group on Facebook. Um, I had joined the group, and it's just, you know, guys that talk about different, like, life issues or questions and stuff. And I guess he had really appreciated one of my responses. So he had hit me up and said, hey, you know, um, I'd really love for us to do, like, a, a virtual call and just kind of connect. And believe it or not, he lives really close to where, you know, I grew up. So we ended up, uh, the first night he called me, we were on the phone for, like, four hours. And, again, never met this man a day in my life, but we had just talked through so many things. And now he's, like, my whole mentor. So it's uh, it's really crazy. But I reference him as a way to unwind because I know that he has provided me with even more strategies and different things to use because he's a professional uh, life coach, too. So those are some of the ways that I've really just been trying to uh, grow as a human being as we step into 2020 and try to get through this pandemic as best I can and best we can. Awesome. And I'm glad you flowed into mentorship because I wanted to talk about that as well. Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk about something that you uh, posted that your dad said to you that was like so powerful to me because I love to see when fathers aren't afraid to affirm their sons. Cause I think that is so important. And I, I think it was the other day you posted, I believe it was like your dad had told you, my life is wonderful because you're in it. And that might not sound oh, like goodness. a lot to yes. to many people, but that was like so heavy to me. I was like, wow, that is so awesome to have that connection with your father, for your father to be able to express that to you. Listen, I teared up so hard, and I'm going to tell you why. Not to go into like a super long backstory, but the mm-hmm. thing that I appreciate about, the thing I appreciate about my dad the most, and it's like, It's funny that I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but it's like because of the relationship I have with my dad, I think my standards with other people sometimes are like really high because, you know, Mm. my dad sets the bar so high for how he treats me. It's hard for me to just be around other people who just can't do those things. I'm like, if my dad can do it, you can do it too. Um, And I know that's a very unfair way to judge people, but I just say all that to say, um, you know, my dad is not like by nature, he's not a words person in the sense of, you know, saying it, his love comes through his actions. So mm-hmm. um, I didn't really fully understand that, uh, you know, people have different love languages until I got older. I always thought that a person only loves you if they told you they loved you. So if you didn't hear it, you assume they mm-hmm. didn't love you. And, you know, my dad, isn't like a, you know, his personality is not huggy and different things like that. So when I was a kid, I always thought like, I mean, I know he cared, but I was like, I guess he just don't love me. But I know that he does because he gets up, he goes to work. 
when I got older, I, that's when I really learned people show love in different ways. Some people do it through words. Some people do it through action. Some people, it's a combination of both. Some people, it's just, you know, quality time. But um, the thing that I really mm-hmm. love about my dad is that he pushes himself so much to be a better dad for me. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where he tries his best. So he acknowledges, like you say, you know, I know I – you know, growing up didn't really tell you those things, but I'm constantly working on it. And the cool part, like he'll be 70 next year. So a lot of times when you hear like older people, you, you know, as a younger person, you kind of get in that rut of like, okay, well, because they're that way, they're always going to be that way. And you just need to learn Mm. how to accept that. But my dad pushes himself to not be that person if he doesn't want to be. So even yesterday we were talking about just different things going on with like, you know, issues as African-Americans. And he said, you know what, I'm taking this time to educate myself on things that we weren't taught in school or things that we were taught incorrectly. Mm. So I love that my dad is not complacent in his parenting style. He doesn't just say, well, you need to get used to the fact that I don't say I love you. Um, he's never really taken that approach. If I bring something to him and I'm like, you know, this really hurt me or he sees it or whatever, he really pushes himself to make that adjustment. And I think the part that really stands out and that's why you hear me just speak about him so highly is because he didn't grow up in a household that got a lot of affection so it's really hard sometimes to ask somebody to do something that maybe they didn't even receive themselves but um i love that he's willing to break those generational kind of things so that i can have better so you know yesterday when we were on the phone he just said you know my life is so great because you're in it and it just like really hit me Mm -hmm. because i know that it was those aren't just like words for him like you know how some people kind of just be chatting right like that with him right, I right. know that like for him I know he really meant it because he normally doesn't say things like that I'll be honest sometimes I'm like are you dying you just not trying to tell me you know how when people like they got a little bit of time left to live they can just get real nice on you but right. no what it is is my dad is really he really pushes himself to be better um like the other day he texted me on Monday he was just like, um, you know, have a great trip. Love you, son. So proud of you and stuff like that. And, uh, man, that stuff really means the world to me because, again, mm. I acknowledge that for most of his life he didn't, you know, used to really say those things so that he is now transitioning into saying the more. I'm just grateful that he cares enough about me to try. That's, I think that's the part that really gets me is that he's willing to try. A lot of parents are not willing to try. I think they leave mm-hmm. it on the kid to have to just deal with it. Um, but, yeah, absolutely amazing. My mo- my mother is phenomenal, too. I think my mom has always been kind of lovey-dovey since I've been uh, older. But the thing about my mom that I really love, too, is that she is very, very always open to a conversation. We can have any type of discussion. We can have any type of disagreement. But she will always hear me out. She will never make me feel as though what I'm saying is overdramatic or that I am being too whatever. Um, And I love that she's always willing to apologize. The reason I'm going on and on about this is because, you know, I work at a school, so I get the other end of it. I talk to my students all the time about their parents, and they constantly are telling me, you know, Mr. Harris, I hate my mother. I hate my father. I this, I that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm listening to them at 18 years old, and they have so much, like, built-up resentment because their parents aren't willing to be better people for their children. So, you know, to have a mom and dad and be 30 myself and say, wow, my parents really invest a lot into making sure that I have a good experience as their child. 
I realized how blessed I was because, you know, again, being around students all day, I get the other side of that where it's like my mom won't even go get a job. So I got to pay the bills in the house. And, you know, my dad hasn't seen me in two years and stuff like that. So um, I can't say that I fully understood how great my parents were until I got around students who really shared what their home lives were like. And I said, yo, my parents are really phenomenal. So those are my, those are my big homies. That's my dream team right there. Awesome. We can tell you come from great stock of mad respect and, and adoration for that. That is awesome and amazing. I love the way that you talk about your parents. Cause like you said, you know, I've taught in the inner city. So I've seen and experienced and heard you know, those experiences as it relates to parents. And I've been blessed. You know, I was blessed with, I was raised by my mother, um, and I was blessed with her. But to hear in the world that we live in now, to hear uh, someone speak about their mother and father in that regards is amazing. It's it's simply amazing. So hats off to your mother and your father. We, We honor them on tonight. Yes, I love them, now, love them, love them. I tell you, if I ever get a million dollars before I even get anything for myself, they are the first two people that, you know, they don't even honestly even want anything, but I'm still going to, you know, get them something. I think my mom would love a trip to the islands. Um, I'd, I'd probably get my dad his own built-in home movie theater in the basement or something. He loved the movies, but. <laughs> Got you. Yeah. So. That's what's up. That is what I'm telling you. It's refreshing to hear that, though. It really is refreshing to hear that. So now, I like to play. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm definitely, I was just saying that's my heart, but. I feel you. So on here, we like to play a game of word association, okay? I'm going to throw five words at you, one at a time. Um. You can tell me in one word what that word means to you, in a sentence what it means to you. You can elaborate on what that word means to you. Or if you want to sing, you can sing a song that has that word inside of the uh, song. <laughs> you it's all you. However you want to express but... it, it's up to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay? So the all first right, word, the first word is, and it's crazy, we're just talking about this. Accountability. Oh, goodness. Love. Um, The reason Mm. I chose the word love for accountability is because I feel like those who really want to see you win in life and really love you are willing to hold you accountable, um, not only to who you say you want to be, but who they know you can be. Um, And I acknowledge that Mm. sometimes that includes difficult conversations. Um, it's Absolutely. often something I tell my students. My students often get on me and tell me that I'm very critical of them, which I guess I would have to agree. I am critical of them, but it's only because I know their potential. And, you know, like with my mentee, I always tell him, I say, I'm never going to let you out in the streets looking crazy. Like, you know, it'll never mm-hmm. be a situation where you are blindsided by something because I didn't have a conversation with you beforehand about something that I observed. So, um, and that's, that's how I show love is through making sure that I can help you be the best version of yourself. Um, so yeah, when I hear accountability, I think of love. I like that. I like how you broke that down 
And I like how when you were talking about it earlier, when you talked about accountability, you talked about it from both ends of the spectrum. You talked about holding yourself accountable and then having accountability partners that help hold you accountable, you hold them accountable. And I think that we need both of those aspects in our life. Very, very, very important. Self-accountability is so real. I'd, I'd probably say that I'm harder on myself than people are probably hard on me. Um, it's funny because anytime I've ever had like a performance evaluation at work, my boss, um, you know, whatever they're going to say to me, I've already written down like this is what I didn't like about my performance this year. They're just like, well, you make my job real easy because you already knew what I was going to say. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, always, always trying to self-reflect. Um, even tonight, like after this, I'll go back and say, all right, maybe don't say this next time, or maybe don't say it as much, or maybe don't whatever on this topic too long or whatever. Um, so I think you definitely have to have that internal accountability to make sure that you're always being a better version of yourself. Absolutely. Now the next word is motivation. Hmm. Um, for me, I would say that word is legacy um, in the sense that mm. I am motivated by being able to create a legacy for those who come after me. I fully understand that everything that I do in this world is not for my own benefit, but for those who are around me. So, you know, I like to think of myself as a vessel, right, in the sense that I write books, but I don't write books just for my own enjoyment. I write books to be able to add more black literature into our society or you know, the books that I write specifically focus on self-help, right? So it gives parents the opportunity to uh, work with their children using my resources. Or even with my finances, you know, if I get money, I'm usually using it to buy my students dinner. Like tomorrow, I'm getting my mentee, Dimitri Buffalo Wild Wings, because he just did an amazing five-week internship. So awesome. um, I have I have two nephews that are both under the age of 10. So I'm setting some stuff up for them this year where I'm getting both of them stocks so that they can go into yeah. their 18th birthdays so that they can have wealth. Um, you know, using my experience, even working out of college, I plan to take them to different colleges and help them explore that option if that's what they're interested in, if they want to go into another route like the military or the workforce and start their own business, you know, also providing support there. But I just say all that to say, like, I am motivated by making sure that I'm leaving our society better. Um, that's what I think about. I realize that um, there are probably more younger people who are counting on me than there are older people. So I'm always very mindful about the impressions that I give off, even like how I use my social media page and things like that. A lot of my students mm -hmm. at my job follow me. Um, my younger cousins, all of my mentees follow me and things like that. So I'm very mindful that if I post this, what type of impressions does that send off? Especially like if I'm trying to have a conversation with them down the road about their brand and their mindfulness. And they say, well, you were just acting up on Snapchat the other day or, you know, different things like that. So um, that is my motivation and pretty much everything that I do is I acknowledge that people are looking to me for examples. Even, um, you know, with my health journey, you and I had connected. Um, beforehand to set this show up and you know in the midst of me losing the 100 pounds as crazy as this sounds I worked out um, you know at my job and it generally started as me doing it by myself one of my students asked could they come with me one time I said sure and then before you know it I had eight to ten students working out with me every day so I realized that mm. you know I was 
staying self-motivated because I wanted to lose the weight. But in result, as a result, it motivated my students to want to work out too. So then there were days I, between you and I, I didn't even feel like it. And they're coming to right. me like, hey, Mr. Harris, can we go work out? And I'm like, I guess, because I feel bad now. If I miss a day now, you're not going to go either. I'm like, oh, shoot, now nah, I don't let you down. So let me get up. <laughs> so it's just one of those mm-hmm. things where um, that is my motivation is I understand that people are counting on me, not necessarily for financial support, but just for, you know, a basis of motivation. I remember um, working uh, at my job, it was probably my first full year here. I started my second year, and I had a student at the time. I was like, what, 23 years old. I had a student who was probably 19. He used to call me dad, and I'm like, how you gonna call me dad? I'm like four years older than you. He's like, because you've been more of a father figure to me than any man that I've ever, you know, biologically would call my father. And I, you know, I think that was like really the first time I realized the impact, um, and just the different things that people do count on me for. Um, again, not money, but just guidance and a basis for maybe how they want to live their life. So that is my motivation. Every day I get up is to make sure that I'm honoring God, that I am doing right by my parents who give so much to make sure I've had a good quality life and just making those who count on me feel like their investment in me as their mentee or whatever it is they identify me as, as not, wasn't a bad choice. So. Awesome. Awesome. Now, you kind of segued into the next word because you started talking about your weight loss journey, and that that can be a part of the next word that we're going to talk about, and that word is transformation. Oh, goodness. Yes. Uh, I would definitely tell you about the weight loss journey. So um, long story short, for the listeners at home, last year on July 4th, I made the decision that I was finally ready to Um, get my health in order. Believe it or not, I've been big since I was like 10 years old. So it was something that for so long I wanted to to change. But you ever had that feeling when it's like, I know I want to do it and I know it's going to be great to do, but I just don't even know how to get started. I don't know if I have the willpower to even maintain it. And I don't even know like who could help me do it, right? So I remember having all of these phases throughout my life where, you know, I would start and I would stop. I was very inconsistent, not only with the exercise, but the eating part as well. And I just remember getting to a place where I was just finally tired. Like I was on the phone with my dad, like bawling, crying. And I was just like, I don't want to be this person anymore. And it was at that moment that I said, today will be the last day that you ever like not do something about it. I said, tomorrow when you wake up, things will be different. And you know, I said, I think you are finally, this is me having a conversation with myself. I'm saying, Jonathan, I think you are finally tired of this. And, you know, I think with any change in a person's life, you got to get tired. Like people can talk to you about it and, you know, whatever. But when you're Mm -hmm. just like, "Uh uh-uh, no more, that's for jobs, that's for relationships, that's for any situation that you find yourself in. When you are truly tired, you will change. And I think for me, I had a desire in the past, but I wasn't tired. But July 2019, listen, I was tired. And um, I remember the first, I, re- I, knew, I knew I was done because I was at a, uh, a coffee shop with my friend and um, I had ordered like a canned or a bottled Tropicana orange juice. And I remember saying to my friend, I said, this is the last like non-water thing I'm going to drink for the next year. And I remember it was 4.30, uh, Sunday, July 7th. And I said, this is it for a while. Drink the Tropicana orange, threw it in the trash. And I said, I'm officially done. 
Um, and I've been on a water challenge ever since. So literally for the last, uh, I guess this would now be 13 months, I have not had any soda, any juice, any alcohol, any anything that has not been water with my meals. Um, so that's just an example. When I say transformation is I really had to transform my mind. Like I was, you know, officially just tired. And I remember praying to God, I said, you know, I'm going to really need your help with this one because I acknowledge this is going to be bigger than anything I've ever had to do in my life before. This is pretty much fixing 20 years of a bad habit, which was, again, my nutrition and my lack of commitment to fitness. So I said, Lord, I'm going to need you to come in and just do an entire overhaul on the way that I see food and you know, stress management. And I said, I don't want to be in a space where when I'm upset, now I'm driving off campus at 11 o'clock, midnight, one in the morning to go get food. I said, Lord, I need your help with coming up with healthy strategies when I feel flustered because food can no longer be one of them. And, you know, give me the strength when people are inviting me out to eat every day and give me the strength to tell them no without it affecting the friendship. And just essentially like every roadblock that I foresaw, I said like, Lord, I'm going to need your help with this. I know I can't do this by myself. And um, now it's funny because as of July 2019, I was 340 pounds. As of today, August 10th, I'm 228 pounds. So, you know, 13 months later, I wow. to lose over 110 pounds. And again, you know, with that transformation thing, I think that to be honest with you, our outer, our outer bodies are just a reflection of our inner bodies. I think my inner body was not well. So my outer body was just a reflection of inner sickness. And because I made so many internal changes, I saw the reflection, you know, no longer was it my job came before my exercise and, you know, helping other people with their problems came before it. I, you know, knew I'd officially changed when students needed to talk to me. And I said, well, you can come on this walk with me or you can wait after I'm done this walk and then we can talk about whatever your issue is. That's how I knew I officially turned the corner on just transforming my mindset because I felt like I always put other people's projects before myself. Um, my mentees, my family, my students, my everything, you know, I always felt like I had a fulfilled life if I helped somebody else do something. But, you know, here I am in this like situation where my health, I want to really work on it. So I said, Jonathan, that's going to be the biggest transformation you got to make is if you really want to be good to all these other people, you got to start really being good to yourself. And, um, you know, now looking back 13 months later, I can honestly say to you, it was probably the best decision I could have made in my twenties. If I could tell you three things that I did in my twenties that have probably set my life up for success down the road, I would say losing that weight, starting my prayer journey and writing those books. Um, those would be the three things. Mm, awesome. Yeah. I, like I said, uh, the show is called Transformation Radio. The four stands for uh, educate, empower, activate, and release. And I couldn't think of a better story or journey of transformation than those where you can see the results. And, you know, your story was one of the greatest forms of transformation that I've seen because the results were evident you know, in, in your life and visible to others as well. So I even like how you broke it down, you know, that our outer bodies are a reflection of what's going on with us inwardly. And, uh, yes. yeah, that, that, that was powerful. Now we're going to do one more word, uh, sure. because we're getting close to going off the air and we're going to talk about your books. We may talk about your books once we go off the air because of how little bit of time we have left. So I want to hit this last word, though, before we continue the conversation. 
And the last word is success. Hmm. Success for me is freedom. So the word I'm going to choose is freedom. And what I mean by that is I think that you truly become successful when you feel you have freedom over your choice. And this mm-hmm. lesson um, really, I, I think it, I didn't fully understand it until maybe like three years ago. But my father is a, oh, my God, it's probably like the eighth time I didn't reference him. Y'all like shut up about this man. But anyway, so my father is a supervisor and um, at one of his jobs. And um, I remember it was so, it was just, oh, my goodness, this was a really life-changing day for me. So I'm on the phone with him, and somebody calls him um, from his job pretty much saying that they needed to call off sick, like they didn't feel well, but they didn't have any, like, time off. So essentially, they had to choose between coming into work knowing they didn't feel well or, lose, like, taking off anyway and losing time from their – or, you know, losing money from their check, right? And I just remember saying mm-hmm. to myself, I'm like, I, I, that just sounds like such a, a powerless situation. Like, I couldn't imagine being stuck between not feeling well and still having to drive somewhere because I'm not in a position to, you know, just stay at home and actually just rest. And I said for me that my definition of success would be able to have freedom over my situation. When I don't feel like I have any mm. control over my situation, I don't feel successful. So for me, to be able to say my arm hurts, I just want to lay in the bed today, and to be able to have the freedom to do so, I know that I've reached success. Um, when I'm in a position where I have no choice because if I don't do it, then, you know, now I'm not going to get paid or something else is going to happen, then I don't feel like I'm fully even in control of my own life. I feel like somebody else controls it for me. And, you know, I've always said to myself that that's what I wanted to work for is freedom over my choice and my choices. I would love to be able to say that I have saved enough money so if I want to take the week off, you know, when I do become a future father and just go spend time at my son's, you know, game or recital or whatever it is that they're doing, to be able to say that I can do that, not, well, son, I would love to come to your stuff, but I can't because I can't ever take off because I have to do this, right? I would never want to be in that mm-hmm. position where I'm just stuck. Um, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of people do live that way, not because they want to, but just because of the circumstances they're in. So um, that is my goal that I always am working towards is to never feel stuck. I never want to feel like, I have to stay in a relationship because I'm dependent on their finances. I never want to feel like I have to stay at a job, even though they talk to me crazy because I need the money. Like I never want to feel like I have to put up with any form of mistreatment. Um, But I I do know a lot of people who unfortunately are in that situation. They're just like, you know, the person who provides me with shelter is also very abusive. So if I leave them alone, I have nowhere to stay. Or, you know, my boss talks to me like I'm an animal but I really need this job, so I'm going to continue to put up with it. And for me, that's just, you know, one of those situations, like, I I can't live that way. So um, that's what I work to never have to deal with, that at any time I set my life up where I can leave and I will have a temporary, you know, just kind of, you know, safety net until I can make other arrangements. I have a neighbor who, you know, at a young age used to always pour into me, about my finances. She said you should always have uh, four to six months worth of bills and money saved up for yourself. So if you ever lost your job, um, let's say you don't get unemployment or something like 
that you wouldn't be stuck, you wouldn't be in a situation where you now are overdrafting or just, you know, different things like that. So, uh, you know, to answer your statement about what does success mean to me, success is freedom. And I like how you use the, the term freedom because I think sometimes when we approach the word success, we kind of narrow it down to one thing. Like I set a goal and I accomplish it. And that is an expression of success. But what about success that's multi-generational? And you begin to talk about freedom. And I think that sometimes the reason why some people can't express that is because they can't fathom the ability that they could experience freedom. So I want, here's what I want you to do real quick. Say somebody's out there and they heard what you just said, and they're like, oh, snap, like a light bulb. They had an Oprah aha uh-huh moment right now. And they're thinking, you know what, that's what I want for my life. What are some steps that you may suggest that they begin to take to position themselves for that freedom? Because I personally feel it's never too late, but sometimes we just need help to start in the right direction. Oh, absolutely. It's so funny that you say it's never too late. I am so inspired, and I feel really bad that I do not know her name. But there there was a woman who played the grandmother on the movie Black Panther. Her first acting job was that role as a grandmom, and she was like 84 years old. So I'm truly mm-hmm. a fan of it's never too late to follow a dream. But, uh, you know, yep. to answer your question, I think the first step is really just knowing that you deserve better. I think that some people mm. might stay in a situation because they feel that that's all that they deserve. And again, for me, like I told you from the jump, the reason I probably sometimes have to check many friends is because, you know, I came from a family who treated me so well. So I'm like, my own parents don't raise their voice to me. You're not going to talk to me any type of way. So, you know, I've never mm-hmm. gone into situations with other people feeling like you you can mistreat me because that's what I deserve. I know I don't deserve that. Um, so I think just building that inner confidence within yourself to say, you know, I am valued, I am worthy, I am special. Um, that's really the first thing. And the second thing, too, is realizing, and I'm just, like, perfecting it this now, but also realizing that the start isn't going to be perfect. I think a lot of us are hesitant mm. to move forward with ideas. Be, we're hesitant to move forward with ideas because we feel like we don't have all the money, all the resources. You know, the website doesn't look the way we want it to. And it's like you continuously try to build upon this grandiose idea that you're going to reveal, and you blink your eyes, it's been 10 years, and you still have not gotten it off the ground. So you have to start that podcast, start that show, realizing that episode one and episode 100 won't be alike, but that's okay. But you will never hit episode 100 until you get to episode one. So just being, I guess, willing to try and being okay with failure, you know, as an author, I go through that all the time. Uh, when I wrote my book and I'm reaching out to people, I might reach out to 100 people and hear from five of them, right? But, you know, mm. at the end of the day, I can't say, well, I'm not going to reach out to nobody because no one's going to write me back. I, can, I can't defeat myself before I've even tried. So that's something my father has always instilled in me growing up. Is he said, stop telling yourself no. Let them tell you no, but you don't tell yourself no. So I would, like I mm-hmm. said, to recap, I would say definitely believing in yourself that you are worthy of more. Um you know, not being afraid to try, not being afraid to sell. And then lastly, too, I would definitely say leaning on your village. Uh, Believe it or not, we all have some form of a village. I think some people have a bigger village than others. 
But I think to a degree, everybody can identify at least one person who really cares about them. And, you know, really leaning on them when you need that support, I think that that's amazing. A lot of the things that I've done throughout my life and even things that I'm still doing through to this day have been as a result of the community becoming coming behind me and supporting me. So I think not trying to tackle things as an individualist, but seeing how you can use your greater collective to accomplish your goals, that would be what I would encourage, um, you know, people to do. I like that. Just get started, or like Nike says, just do it. <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Don't try to perfect it in the beginning. Let it be an organic perfection. I love that. I just had this conversation with a guest on my podcast. I host a podcast as well. And we were talking about our first episodes of our podcast, how the sounding sucked, how we sucked, you know, how we, we had to grow and find our voice and find ourselves even within it. But if we had never started, we wouldn't see the improvement of where we are. And then you said, lean upon your village. Sometimes we're so uh, used to having to do things on our own that we miss the resources that are right there with us. So awesome advice there. Listen, guys, those of you that are listening live, we are about to go off the air, but it's okay. The conversation is going to continue. I want you to visit www.cliftonpettyjohn.com. It'll be available by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. You will be able to hear the rest of the interview or the conversation, okay? I thank you all for joining us. I appreciate each and every one of you. And, again, visit the website, and you'll see upcoming shows we have. And feel free to listen to any other shows we've had as well. So I appreciate you. I'm not going to say goodbye because I will say that at the end of the conversation. <laughs> yes, this has been great. Okay, so we're off the air. We've talked ourselves off the air. Awesome. This is awesome. I'm enjoying this. I really am enjoying the conversation. Yeah, same. Okay. Oh, you're welcome. No problem. So now, here's what I want to do. We've done the game. We've talked about a lot of different stuff. I want to get to your books. Let's talk about your books, okay? First of all, I love seeing young black authors. It's not just because, you know, oh, here we go. I am, I encourage and push, you know, black young men and young women to become authors. Tell your story, share your story, get it out of you. So I love to see it. I love the excellency of it and everything. Let's begin to talk about your books from one to number three, okay? First, I want to know, at what age did you know that you were going to be an author? Oh, goodness. So that age is actually 24. Um, so okay. a couple years ago, I just turned 30 on July 26. So I've been an um, author now for a couple years. But you're going to laugh at how these stories actually came about that I became an author. So just to give you a little bit of background, I am actually more of a math and science nerd by trade. I enjoy you know, like okay. hands-on things, stuff like that, science experiments, uh, nature. But the, the journey to becoming an author was completely different. Um, basically, one day I was coming home and I ran over a nail in the road. So when I ran over that nail in the road, I had to put my car in the shop to get the, the tire fixed, right? And as I'm doing that, 
I end up filling out the maintenance form incorrectly. And because I filled it out oh, wow. incorrectly, the bill, yeah, the bill was like almost $300. So I remember getting the bill back and I'm talking to my dad because my dad always calls like anytime I have a car repair and he's like, how much was it? Um, so I told him and he was like, why was it that high? And I'm like, I don't know, dad. Like, you know, again, I'm not a person who knows much about cars, so I don't even know what I'm supposed to be expecting. Um, so then he was like, well, what did you tell the people like you needed done? So I was explaining to him, I said, well, on the form, I put that I needed a tire fix, so I checked tune-up. And he just bust out laughing. And I'm like, I'm not understanding what's so funny. <laughs> and he was like, so do you know no. what a tune-up is? And I'm like, no, like, I need the car fixed, like, tune up. So I'm making it like a verb, like, tune the car up, fix the tire. And he's like, no, a tune-up is the wiring. And I'm just like, oh. So basically, I paid to get the wires fixed for a flat tire, which – obviously have nothing to do with the tire. So they end up fixing the tire, but I paid essentially another $200 for a a unnecessary repair. Well, I won't say unnecessary, but I will say that that's not why I put the car in the shop. Right. So it was at that moment, he was just like, well, why didn't you call anybody? And I'm kind of like, you know, at the time I'm 24 years old and I'm just like, I'm a grown man. Like, I don't, I didn't think I needed to even call you. So it wasn't something that I would like, you know, just certain things you're just like, I don't need help with this. I didn't think I needed help with this. So we get to that situation where now I take this extra thing. And I remember saying to myself, like, that's so stupid of you, Jonathan. Like, you really could have just called. And, you know, like, I, you know, you've gone on and on about my father. But, you know, I have a really active dad. I have, you know, while he was living, an amazing grandfather. I have a big brother. I have a bunch of uncles. Like, you know, my life has not been void of men at all. I have them at every corner. And I didn't think that I needed the help. So then that process started to settle in for me. And I say, well, wow, you actually have access to all these guys that you could have called. And this happened to you. So then what happens to the guys who don't have any men? Like, what does their process look like when they actually do have questions and there's no one on the other side of that phone? Um, So, you know, for me, I can call anybody right now and say, hey, I'm trying to learn how to make lasagna. Can you teach me the step? And I have a bunch of people who are walking through it. So I acknowledge that, you know, my life has been relatively privileged in the terms of having access to people and access to mentorship, resources, and guidance. thought about, like, you know, out of my friends growing up, I was the only person where their mom and dad was actually still married. Like, all of my friends were raised by their mother. Mm -hmm. So either dad Mm -hmm. was not in the picture at all or dad wasn't really consistent in the picture. You know, he didn't live in the house. He may visit here and there, may hit you up on a birthday and a Christmas or something like that, but wasn't always like heavily involved. So, you know, I really started thinking about my friends and my students and just all the guys who shared throughout the course of their life, how much harder their life was because of, a you know, absent father. So then it just popped in my head. I was like, well, you know, what if you put together like a resource guide for guys, you know, to kind of answer some questions that maybe a dad would have gone over with them. And I say, you know, I acknowledge that a book is not going to take the place of anybody's dad. But I said, I think that it definitely helped with some of the how-to things. So, you know, right away I got straight to work. Like I'm working on just different things. I'm like, what would a, what, what would a teenage male need to know that their dad would teach them? So I started thinking about things that, you know, my dad has poured into me and, you know, other things that some of my like male friends said, like, I wish my dad had talked to me about women. I wish that my dad showed me how to tie a tie. I wish that somebody showed me how to write a check, right? So that's essentially what I did. I put together a book, and half of the book um, 
spoke on like internal things. So it talked about like self-esteem, time management, healthy relationships, stuff like that. And then the second half of the book is all technical skills. So it talks about how to travel out of town by yourself if you're going to an airport alone, how to live on your own, how to cook, how to tie a tie, how to balance the checkbook, how to have a budget, and all of those, again, how to skills. And on March um, 24th, 2016, Master of Ceremonies, A Male's Guide for a Successful Life was published. So that is the, that is the kind of behind the scenes of how my first book came about with Tire Troubles. <laughs> so... It's crazy. It's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, so when people ask, like, how long have you wanted to be an author, I said, well, before that that flat tire, never. Um, But it was just something God (laughs) had kind of put into my spirit. So the second book was like kind of like a spinoff of it. So what happened is, you know, now this book is out. I'm traveling. I'm trying to promote and stuff like that. And I remember, you know, Master of Ceremonies is a book that's geared towards, like, high school and college-age kids. So I'm meeting mothers who are like, I love the concept of this book, but I have a three-year-old. So, you know, my three-year-old is not interested or not even able to cook yet. So the things in your book are essentially just too old for them, right? This might be a good book for them in 10 years, but right now they're still a little kid. So I, I kept getting a lot of that. And I said, well, what if you made the prequel to your first book? So what if you took the concept from your very first book? but you put it into a kid format and you made a self-help book for kids, which is essentially never done. Like most children's books are once upon a time, the princess gets captured, the prince rescues her and they live happily ever after in the kingdom or something related to like a a narrative story. So for me, um, I wanted to do something very different. I've always been the type of person that I don't ever want to recreate something that's always already in existence. I wanted to create something that puts a new spin on the way that we normally do things. So my second book, Growing Gent, is a book that focuses on how kids can have strong values as a young kid. So every page has a different expression about gentlemen. So it says a gentleman is, a gentleman does, so different things. And I use animals to kind of express the different emotions. So, for example, there's a page that says a gentleman helps around the house. And it's a picture of a mama pig washing dishes, and next to her is her little son pig, I guess little piglet, washing the dishes with her. And what that shows is that, you know, boys should help their families in the house too. A lot of times with, like, household chores, some families raise their children like, oh, the girls got to do the vacuuming and the washing of the dishes, and the boys got to be outside mm-hmm. cutting the grass. So you get older, and then you get these husbands who don't help their wives around the house because growing up, they weren't told that, okay, the men can also wash the dishes too, right? So trying to maybe dispel, like, certain gender norms and different things like that. But, you know, that's just one example. Uh, Within the book, there are other things like a gentleman keeps his clothes in order. So there's a picture of a cat making his bed and um, folding his shirt. So, you know, it talks about hygiene. It talks about cleanliness. There's a picture that says a gentleman saves his money, and it's a kangaroo putting a dollar in his pouch. So we're addressing financial literacy with two- and three-year-olds from an early age. And the thing I loved about about Growing Gents is that it's a book that you can teach from in multiple ways. So, for example, if your child is at a place where they need to learn about animals, you can point it out to them and say, well, what animal is this? Or if you're doing colors, well, what color is this tree? Or what, you know, if you're doing shapes. So it's multiple angles. Or if you're at a place where you want to talk about the value part, 
then you can flip it open and say, oh, okay, it says, you know, a gentleman says please and thank you, and it's a picture of a horse, a ch- like a child horse, and their parent, and it's a kid eating dinner, and it says thank you for the food, mom and dad. So you're teaching your kid about gratefulness and appreciation and gratitude, right? So it just depends mm-hmm. on where you are with your child. You can teach, you know, you can work with your child from many different angles and areas. Girls with Pearls is the third book, and Girls with Pearls essentially is the sister book to Growing Gents. So it's the same exact topic, but it's for girls. The funny part about Girls with Pearls is Girls with Pearls was written in Red Lobster, and people always fall out when I say that. So basically, <laughs> one day I was hanging out with one of my, my uh, female friends, and we were going to lunch. And I remember saying, like, People were getting upset with me because, you know, Master of Ceremonies was a book for boys, and then Growing Gents, I was working on it. It wasn't released yet, and I remember people saying, like, okay, you've now done two books for boys, but you've done nothing for girls, so when are you going to finally drop something for girls? Like, we want to support you, but I have daughters, so I I really want to see something for the girls. So I said, all right, I promise you the next book will be specifically for the ladies. So I was like, I'm going to make the girl version of this boy's children's book. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, but I'm a whole grown man. What do I look like writing a book teaching a, a little girl how to be a woman? Like, I, I, you know, just from a place of realisticness, I can't do that. I've never been mm-hmm. a girl a day in my life. So I said, I'm <laughs> going to need help with this one. So I'm in Red Lobster, and my friend and I are eating. Our waitress comes over, and I said, let me ask you a question. I said, what would you want your daughter to know in terms of, like, life lessons and values and stuff by the time she turns 18. So she just looks at me like she's really perplexed by the question. She's like, huh. And she was like, well, I want my daughter to love herself. I want my daughter to value her education. I want my daughter to not, like, feel like she needs a man to be happy. And she's saying all of these things. So I'm, like, writing down, like, oh, this is good stuff. And I tell her, like, oh, I'm asking you because I'm working on a book. And, you know, I I wanted some, some women, like, female input. So she really like loved the question. So little to my surprise or much to my surprise, she takes the same question and she goes around to every single woman in Red Lobster. And she asks them that same question I asked her and she writes down everyone's response. So she comes back to the table with a whole sheet of paper of everything that every woman has said in Red Lobster. Like, Oh, I want my daughter to be like this. I want my daughter to do that. So essentially the women of Red Lobster helped me write my third book. <laughs> and um, that's what's up, you know. Yeah, great. Like, that's why I told you my village is so dope. I was not lying to you. <laughs> and um, you know, to be able to say that a group of strangers came together because they believed in the project so much to help essentially give me material for this. Um, you know, I was able to take a lot of the concepts. I didn't use obviously everything, but I was able to write it. You know, write some stuff. So in the girls' book, it's called Girls with Pearls. Um, the big thing that a lot of people uh, really wanted me to emphasize was the self-worth aspect for these young ladies. So there are things in there that says, like, a lady never quits. And it's a picture of a caterpillar, and then she becomes a cocoon, then she becomes a butterfly. Or it says a lady is a leader. So it's a queen bee, and she's kind of directing the other bees of where to go. So I definitely wanted to really have more women's empowerment influences in there. And I think my favorite one there is a page that says a lady stands beside a gentleman. Um, so it's a picture of a female, like, I guess, female cub standing next to a male cub, and they're, like, uh, walking to school together. Or they're, I guess, you know, animals on four legs. So I guess they're crawling to school together or whatever. 
but, um, you know, to show that even though women may be different, you are not better or you are not worse than us. You are just different. And different doesn't have to be better or worse. It's just different. So, um, again, I really leaned on the ladies of Red Lobster um, to help me out there. So those are how my books essentially all came about. None of them were planned um, in a sense of, like, knowing, oh, I definitely want to be an author. I definitely want to do this. They all kind of just fell into my lap. But I can honestly say to you, Cliff, it has been a life-changing experience. I have grown so much from being an author. My comfortability, Mm -hmm. like I'm just talking tonight so freely, my confidence, uh, my ability to accept rejection is very uh, strong now. Before, I used to get all kind of like bent out of shape if somebody told me no when they weren't going to support me. But, you know, being an author, you get used to people saying they're going to do something and not following through. You get used to writing people Mm -hmm. and not getting a response. You get used to a lot of those things that before I didn't really get um, experience with. And, um, you know, for me, I think the one thing that has really helped me the most being an author is it has enhanced so many other skills I didn't think it was um, going to enhance. So I didn't realize that when you write a book, you're also launching a business. So, you know, I went into it, like I explained to you, I went into the first book with just a hope to help out young guys. I wasn't thinking about it from a financial aspect. I mean, I knew that writing a book, I'd get a couple of dollars, but for me, it wasn't mm-hmm. about becoming a millionaire. It wasn't about any of those things. It was just about helping. But again, there's a business element there. So, you know, having to set aside money for marketing and, um, you know, paying taxes on the royalties that you earned and just different things that no one really kind of sat down with me and went over, um, I definitely had to have a crash course. So, you know, from this experience, I learned how to build my own website. And, you know, so I became the graphic designer. I learned how to write contracts because um, on my second and third books, being children's books, I needed an illustrator for every single page. So, you know, going through that Mm -hmm. process of finding a person and properly vetting them and writing the contract and making sure that the checks have been properly sent out and just all of that stuff. So my business skills have grown um, tremendously from this. But uh, being an author has allowed me to even meet great people like yourself. Um, You know, working in higher ed is a great opportunity in itself, but I think writing a book gives you access to a different community that maybe you wouldn't get if you just worked a traditional nine to five job. So um, I thank God for this. I thank God for this every day. I'm so blessed. And, you know, I just, I love every moment of it, the good, the bad, the, the beautiful, the rough part. Um, So grateful for all of it. Awesome. I like how you walked us through your journey, especially the with the last book being written in Red Lobster and how you said a group of strangers got together. And I, I'm a firm believer that God is strategic. And I believe that when we position ourselves, even when we say, okay, God, I don't know how you're going to do this thing, but I'm willing to do it. When we position ourselves in a willing to do situation and he brings the provision that we need in order for the vision to come to come to pass who would have ever thought? I'm pretty sure there are not many authors that have a story that I was sitting in Red Lobster. I asked my waitress a question. She took that question to all of the people I needed to go to in that Red Lobster and came back with all of those answers that I was able to use for material. You don't hear things like that, and that's why I believe 
you know, as I said, God is strategic, and I believe in divine appointments, and from that, something great was birthed. Now, before we get to the last three questions, I also want to talk to you about uh, your TEDx experience. Um, How was that for you, your first TEDx speech? Oh, my goodness. It was truly, truly, truly life-changing. And I say that in the sense that um, it was something that I've wanted to do now for a couple of years. And believe it or not, it was actually my third attempt at, like, trying to get an opportunity at it. I remember, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had to make an audition tape before and all of this stuff. And just looking back on it, I just chuckled so hard. I said, wow, we've definitely come so far. But, you know, Ted really pushed me because I did not realize, like, you, you know, I think we've all seen at least one. And it's just like, wow, they make it look so effortless, you know. But there is mm-hmm. a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes into it. I lied to you not, Cliff. I almost had to email them and say, I'm not doing this anymore, because I felt like I was going to get up there and fully embarrass myself. Um, wow. It's different. Like, you know, I've given presentations before. I've been on radio before. I've had opportunities to speak. So public speaking isn't necessarily the part that gets you. What gets you is standing up and talking to a group of people for 10 minutes with no, no podium, no anything. Like, it, it, it's just different. Um, most presentations that we've seen throughout the course of your life have some type of reference point, right, where it's like, all right, well, let me mm-hmm. turn around and look at this slide real quick, and that will get me back on track. With TED Talk, uh, you're really just talking because you have to memorize that script. I had to learn – like four and a half pages, single space of my speech. Mm-hmm. There was no slide, there was no podium, there was no teleprompter. It is just different. And the week of my TED Talk, I was sick. So here I have this cold, I'm rehearsing, sounding crazy, looking crazy, feeling crazy. Um, and I'm just like, yo, this is just too much. But again, I have an amazing village. So I was posting about it on Facebook like throughout and I remember, like, all of these people are texting me, like, yo, you're going to get through this. It's going to be fine. And, you know, like I said, the, my community really puts on for me. I, I love them so much because they were like, we are not going to let you squander this opportunity. Like, you've been working too hard. We can't think of anybody else who would be a good fit to do this than you. So you want to get through it. You know, I had a, an employee, uh, a colleague of mine who literally, like, texts me, and he's like, if you want me to come over and practice with you, I will. And that was something that he offered, you know, so everybody really wanted to see me do this, and I just felt so like, yo, we got we to gotta do this. Like, it, it has to happen. So I definitely went to Walmart, got myself some cough drops, and did the whole little, you know, whatever I need to do to get rid of this cold, and we got on it. But it was cool because – um you know, when it was done, two guys were in the uh, front row. And I'm going to tell you why these two guys are really special to me. A, they were the only, um, they were the only, like, young black men in the audience. And two, they were the son and friend of my teacher. My 11th grade social studies teacher came to oh, my wow. TED Talk in Pennsylvania and mind you, I've been out of high school since 2008. She was my teacher in 2006, and my TED Talk was in 2020. So we're talking, like, almost 14 years later, my high school teacher wow. comes to support me. That's why, I, that's why I go on and on about my village, because I'm like, yo, y'all are just too dope. 
<laughs> but I say all that to say, so she brings her son, who's a freshman in college, and he brings his friend. And afterwards, they come up to me, and they're just like, we want to, like, host a TED event now. Like, we want to give one. We want to host one. And the crazy part is there were seven speakers. I was one of seven, and I was the only male of color to speak. So I said, you know, representation wow. is so important because here we have these two only black men in the audience listening to yep. the only black male speaker, and now they want to give one. This is why, that's why, you know, earlier we had talked about the word legacy. Um, that is my motivation because I realized that sometimes we're empowered by seeing someone who looks like us do something. It, it, it literally Absolutely. opens the door for things that you thought were not possible to you. Like, well, if Jonathan get up there and do it, I could do it. So, um, you know, that was just so powerful to me. I realized that in that moment, like me giving that TED Talk was not about my own career or anything like that. It was opening the door to other people who may not have had the confidence in themselves to even believe that they could do it. But once they saw me, that doubt went away and they said, I could do this now. So, again, uh, truly, truly, truly life-changing experience. Um, Honestly, I will be honest, doors do open a little bit faster for you afterwards. I remember when I first started uh, mm-hmm. out as an author, I used to reach out for just different opportunities. And, you know, sometimes you just didn't even get a response at all. But listen, when you tell people that you've written three books, you're a TED Talk speaker, and you're a 40 under 40 winner, mm-hmm. people do get back to you a little bit faster. So I'm not going to lie. That part mm-hmm. is cool. Um, it's nice to be able to, like, push your – it's nice to be able to push your stuff a little bit more because before – it was like, oh, that's so cute. He has a little book out and da 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 And that's just how kind of certain people treated me. But it's like when the bigger opportunity started to come in, they're like, oh, he, he might know a little something. Let me let me hear him out. So um, definitely, you know, never try to be in a position where I use my credentials to be stagnant or even arrogant. But I do acknowledge the yeah. ability of a growing platform and how I can, like, continue to build upon that. So now I am the founder and director of TEDx Fort Washington, so I am planning my own TED Talk conference. So I will not be speaking next year. Okay. I will be hosting, um, which is really okay. cool. So uh, for those who are listening, that goes to you, that goes to anybody else who's listening. Uh, we are still looking for TED speakers for our conference. You know, with Corona going on, it will be virtual for 2021. But 2022, we're, uh, you know, going to make plans to make it an end. So um, if you've ever, ever thought about giving a TED Talk or, you know, know somebody who you think would be amazing to give a TED Talk, um, the information is definitely on my Instagram page, which is at Author John. And, you know, we're going to continue to um, put the word out there that we're still actively looking for speakers. Um, our goal target number is eight people. So we are, again, continuously okay. taking applications. And the cool part is, you know, you can talk about whatever it is that you feel connected to. We don't give you prompts and we don't give you ideas. You present the idea to us and there will be a selection committee who determines um, if they feel it's a good fit for the theme of the show, which is reshape the landscape. So, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. that has been my, my TED journey from a from a aspiring candidate to a speaker to now a founder and director of my own. We're going to keep building on this thing. That's awesome, man. And like you said, the representation part is because people of color are seeing that this is possible. Like, it's one thing to say, I aspire to be something. But when you begin to see people that look like you, sound like you, maybe come from where you came from, 
and you see them changing the game like that, it encourages you even the more to understand I can reach a little higher. I can strive a little more. I can continue on to accomplish the goals that I've set and maybe even change some of my benchmarks that I've set because maybe I need to dream a little bigger. Maybe I need to press a little harder. Maybe I need to work a little harder in order to accomplish some things that are far beyond me. Yes. So now, listen, I'm going to get to the last three questions, and I'm going to let you go. Uh, Again, I appreciate you being with us tonight and sharing so freely, man. I appreciate appreciate that. Those that I bring on the show, I usually – can from a conversation, whether it's a written conversation or a spoken conversation, I can tell whether they fit the flow of the show. So I appreciate you coming on and fitting the flow of the show. So now, I, question number one. Great. Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I said, no, this has been great. Uh, I've had so much fun. It's crazy how quickly like an hour went. <laughs> it, it goes quick. I tell everybody, I used to, people used to tell me, I don't think I can fill a whole hour. I'm like, yo, it goes so fast you don't even realize. Yeah. But the first question is, you've given us a lot over this hour. If everybody were to walk away and forget everything that you said, what would be one thing that you would want them to take away from this conversation? Oh, that's a really good one. Um, I would say that you set the tone for the life that you're going to have. Um, I used to, at one point in my life, I used to believe that the things that I received were a result of what other people just wanted me to have. Um, when I started to really take ownership over my experience, over my emotions, over my actions and everything, I realized that I do have a lot more control over my situation than I felt like I did. So I do think that if you were only to take one thing away, the one thing I would want you to remember is that you set the pace for the life that you're going to live. That includes the people you have in it. That includes the opportunities that you continue to stay involved with. That includes mindset. You, You pick all of that. It's your choice. So you set the pace for the life that you have. Now, the second question I usually ask before we go off the air, you've already answered. I'm just going to say what the question is, and then I'll take you back to how you answered it. On the show, we like to acknowledge and honor what we call transforming transformers. Transforming transformers are individuals that have submitted themselves to a life of personal development and transformation. And then they have also played a role in the transformation of others' lives. You spoke about your father. You spoke about your mother. Yes. You spoke about your mentor. You spoke about your village. So the entire time you were answering that question, so I wasn't getting tired of you. That You kept saying, I know some of you probably getting tired of me talking about my dad. I wasn't because <laughs> I feel like that is so important. Like our our core group, whether it's big or small, is essential for our success. So thank you for sharing with us about your transforming transformers and how they have made direct and indirect impacts in your life. Now, before I get to the final question, 
I want to say to you, um, I want to give you the opportunity to give everyone your website, your social media handles, where they can purchase your book, and any other contact information that you would want them to have to stay in touch with you and to connect with you and find out about events you have going on. And even it says you're a life coach. If somebody's out there looking, a life or in career coach, if somebody's out there looking for a life or career coach, uh, please explain to them how they will get up with you. Thank you again for that opportunity to share. So, my, um, believe it or not, my social media as well as my website are all um, one and the same, which is Author John. So my website is www.authorjohn.com. On that website has a variety of different things from upcoming speaking engagement to my blog, which I post every Tuesday called The Classy Gent Chronicles, to fun facts about me and even ways that you and I can uh, potentially collaborate. So. Um, anything that you are interested in getting, whether that services, whether that um, purchasing books, all of that is on my website, www.authorjohn.com. In that same breath, my social media is Author John, so that includes Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and YouTube, all Author John. Luckily, um, no one seems to have had that name. I'm kind of surprised that I got a clean sweep of all of them being author John without having to put any funny characters like an underscore or something like that. So um, author John is A-U-T-H-O-R-J-O-N. And um, that is because I wrote a book, or actually now, hey, I can say this, I wrote three books, and my name is Jonathan. So that's a little backstory as to where author John came from. And I'm always happy to connect, always happy to have a conversation. Um, I know when people kind of, check out my profile or whatever they see like the business side, but I can honestly say that I'm a very down to earth individual. I love, you know, success. I like having fun, but I love conversation. Um, so, you know, at any time, if you want to discuss something that we, you know, you heard about tonight on the show or just even something else, always happy to, you know, take that time out and have that conversation. I feel like you, in order to really be a great teacher, you have to be a great student. So I'm always happy to learn. Mm -hmm. I'm always happy to be challenged and informed. Um, always open to learning new things. So that's that's what I got for y'all. Awesome, awesome. Here we go. Last question. This is the question I end every conversation with. I'll explain to you why I end the conversation with it once you answer the question, okay? And that okay. question is, who is God to you? Oh, this is a great way to uh, put an end on this show. So mm -hmm. um, for me, God is my protector. He is my peace. Um, mm. He provides me with guidance, love, and more importantly, he provides me with a chance to try to be better. Um, every day that I wake up, I live by this expression that as long as you have a pulse, you have a purpose. So I understand yes. that every day that I wake up, God has given me another chance to live in his image. In fact, every night when I pray with my prayer partner and mentee, Dimitri, that is how we end every prayer is we pray that God helps us live in his image. 
So I'm always working to be a better servant of God and uh, try to use his teachings and his lessons to kind of frame my own life. So um, that is who God is to me. All right, guys, there you have it. Now, the reason why I asked that question, Jonathan, is because I believe that as long as we as long as we live, we will never fully understand the awesomeness or magnitude of God. And those words don't even begin to describe him. However, when we encounter other individuals or have a conversation with other individuals, we are being introduced to a new dimension or realm of God through them, through their experiences and through their personal relationship with God. So, the way that I know God, the way that you know God, when we begin to have conversation, it begins to strengthen our faith in God because maybe it's something that you've experienced with God that I have yet to experience, but a conversation with you unlocks God in that dimension to me and vice versa. So I always love to hear how everybody communicates who God is to them on this show. So, Jonathan, I thank you again. Listening audience, I thank each and every one of you. As I always say, if there was no you, there would be no show. So I appreciate your love. I appreciate your support, and I appreciate your feedback. If you are listening and you are not following me on social media, what's your problem? No, I'm playing. If you're not following me on social media, (laughs) Just type my name in on all social media platforms, Clifton Petty John, and connect with me on social media. If you want to find out everything that we have going on here on Transformation Radio, what's going on over at the What Now Podcast, and everything else that I have going on, visit www.cliftonpettyjohn.com. You're going to get everything that you need to know there, okay? Please, please, please connect with John. He has three books. You can choose one to purchase. You can choose two to purchase. I encourage you to purchase all three. If you don't have any children, you have nieces, you have nephews, you have cousins, you have students, you have mentees, you have whatever it is you have. There's somebody in your community that could benefit from these books. These books are making an impact on our not next generation, our now generation, and I thank God for somebody taking the time to write books that are impacting them in ways that aren't of the norm. So please make sure you connect with him. Make sure you support him. Remember, speakers, he put a call out as well. Make sure you go by his uh, social media if you're interested in speaking at his TEDx event. Make sure you connect with him, okay? Now, listen, as I always say, guys, create a great day. Walk with purpose. And by all means, execute your vision. Peace. So I know you've heard me talk a lot about working with people in entertainment. And perhaps you don't necessarily work in entertainment. And if you do, you may not need a full overhaul at the moment. However, you may be facing a challenge or working on a project that you could use objective perspective or expertise on. Um, This is why I offer consulting. Here are the areas I can help you in. Branding, marketing, creative strategy, 
spiritual development, identity strategy, style and image, content strategy, entrepreneurship. I would love to work with you to navigate your challenge or to enhance your project. If you want to book a one-time session or inquire about a short-term consulting relationship, you can do both by visiting YourSupernormal.com. Let's get it.